Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show. Your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. Hey everybody, so welcome to the Conservative Voice Show. We are now exactly one week after the election day and we still do not have a definitive idea on who the President of the United States is going to be. We have members of the Democratic Party overtly targeting and bastardizing, blacklisting Americans. We have the Affordable Care Act, which is set to go in front of the Supreme Court today. And then at the very end, we'll take a look at President Trump and all the legal actions that he's brought forward that we know about so far in this election and what it means. So all that and more on today's episode. But before we get started, I just want to know, what do you guys think will be the biggest change we'll see if Biden is indeed elected in America? What do you think is going to be the biggest change? For me personally, I think it's going to be the handling of domestic policy in regards to the social justice issues. So like BLM, Antifa, all of the demands that they make. I think we're going to see a radical shift in domestic policy pertaining to those like hot ticket items. So please let me know what is your guys' thoughts and let me know what you think the biggest change is gonna be. Let me know in the comments below. All right, so we'll start with the Honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez completely blacklisting American, Americans and making some form of list that is going to continue the divisiveness in America. So on November 6th, the Honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did something that for most of us is terrible and horrifying. Hell, for all of Americans should be horrifying. She tweeted, is anyone archiving these Trump psychophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future? I foresee this decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, and photos in the future. Then in the comments, she says, LOL, at the end quote, party of personal responsibility, being upset at the idea of being responsible for the behavior over the last four years. Okay, first of all, lady, I'm not upset that you wanna hold me accountable because there's nothing to hold me accountable about. Me supporting whatever president or political party I want because they align closely with my beliefs, that is my personal right. And that is the right of every single American. And so there's no nothing about personal responsibility in that. Second, I don't understand why you want to alienate and bastardize and ostracize 70 million Americans that voted for the president. Like that is absolutely incredible. You want to segregate and outcast millions and millions of Americans because they do not agree with the same political views that you agree with. It seems a little silly coming from the party that is currently trying to push some form of unity in America. But it doesn't like stop there, right? Like thinking about it, okay, if there was some like politician that believes that we should have some list of, to blackmail, blacklist, whatever, outcast the people that voted for the opposite party, okay, I could see that. Like some superficial layer that's just doing it for like political gain inside her party and with her constituents. But it goes way deeper than that. So the former press secretary for the DNC and the senior spokesman of Obama's campaign tweeted this. Harry Sevigan, 
you better believe it, we just launched the Trump Accountability Project to make sure anyone who took a paycheck to help Trump undermine America is held responsible for what they did. Like, this is some scary stuff, folks. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're telling me that there are sitting members of Congress, former political pundits, and other Americans that are calling for the retribution of other Americans based on their political agendas and ideologies. So you're telling me that there's groups of Americans that want to hurt, like, that says they need to be held responsible. Held responsible how? Are you going to make sure they never have a job again? Are you going to make sure they can't be in politics where they make their livelihood any like livelihood again? Are you going to put them in jail because they don't agree with you? Like what kind of responsibility are you talking about here? And so I find it very, very scary when you think that there is sitting members of Congress that are openly saying this. And so Politico hit it on the head in an article written by Jeffrey Swindle. He's in the article, it says, a group calling itself the Trump Accountability Act, I'm sorry, the Trump Accountability Project sprung up to heed AOC's call. Remember what they did, the group's sparse website declares. We should not allow the following groups of people to profit from their experience. Those who elected him, those who staffed his government, those who funded him. Rarely a healthy sign in any democracy, the enemy's list started to freak out some normally unflappable Trump officials in the White House. At first, I brushed it off as ridiculous, but what is, but what is scary is that this is, she's serious, said a White House official of AOC's tweet, that it's terrifying that a sitting member of Congress is calling for something like that. I believe there is a life after this in politics for Trump's officials. But the idea that a sitting member of Congress wants to purge from society and ostracize us should scare the American people. It definitely should scare the American people more than it scares me. That type of rhetoric is terrifying when you have 70 million Americans who voted for this president. It might start with the Trump officials, but what if they go further? And this is absolutely true, right? Okay, sure, they say they want to do it to just the Trump officials. But what do they do to the American people? Like that is just a start. When you think of like, like Nazi Gestapos have lists of Jews that they went around trying to round up because they didn't agree with the same views that they, they didn't match what that government wanted. And so yes, sure they may say right now they want to stop just with the officials of the Trump campaign and the Trump administration, but how far are they willing to go? And that's incredibly scary when you have a sitting member of Congress openly saying that. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is, <laughs> like, I can't even help but laugh at this guy's like, you literally have like the Democratic Party that is literally like wedged in half, split in two, and it's just funny when you see the opposing sides of the Democratic Party, like literally talking within days of each other. But anyway, you have Joe Biden proclaiming unity and that the nation just needs to be unified and we need to come together and love each other and just be one thing saying things like our opponents are not our enemies. Like literally the day after AOC announced their blacklist of Americans. So yes, Joe Biden, please, please, please continue telling me about how much our country needs to be unified as there is discontent and bastardation and segregation just being spewed from your party. So here's Joe, Butter, Joe, Butter, Joe Biden muttering some useless catchphrases about unity.
each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. All right, so there he is, guys. There, there is the, the media-proclaimed president-elect himself talking about how we need unity in America. So I've been saying from the very beginning, right, that Joe Biden was chosen because he was moderate enough to get the votes, but not strong enough to hold back the radical left. And that is 100% true. And you can see it right here. We're already seeing this like kind of like emerge. Like you have Joe Biden just, hey guys, like let's be unified. Like we need to rebuild America, blah, 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 blah. Everything else that he's been saying, right? And then you have AOC and the squad and the left, the rest of the radical left just making, coming these, making these overt statements about socialism and how progressiveness wasn't the, the problem, that we need to be more progressive. And that we need to blacklist Americans, excuse me, blacklist Americans that believe and support it in President Trump. And Biden hasn't said a single damn word to his party about it. At least not that we know of. Not a single damn Democratic Party member. Besides in that, like conference call following the election has said anything to the progressive left about their statements and where they plan on taking America. And that is a very, 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 like, bold statement. I guess more like their silence is their statement. Anyways, so AOC again making the headlines, doubling down on the idea that anyone that had anything to do with the president should just be clubbed into submitting and not allowed to work anywhere in politics. And an article written by Bruce Golding I'm sorry, uh, an article written by Bruce Golding of Fox News. The headline is, AOC says Biden picking Ram Emanuel for cabinet would be divisive. I think that's what people are keeping. I think that's what people are keeping an eye out for. Is this administration going to be actively hostile and try to put in appointments that are going to just squash progressives and organizing? Progressive Democrats are, and activists will be warily watching Joe Biden's cabinet choices. U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said Monday, while publicly weighing in against former White House Chief of Staff Ram Emanuel, someone like Ram Emanuel would be a pretty divisive pick. Ah, yes. It would prove detrimental to the progressive agenda. You mean that you don't like him because he's not openly okay with socialism? Like... Also, did, did Emmanuel have like some like huge record of racial injustice when he was Obama's first chief of staff? Or did that not matter because he was appointed by, by Obama? Like you can't pick and choose when you want their racial injustice and to enact like their history of racial injustice. Either he has a history of racial injustice or he doesn't. And if he has a history of racial injustice, why was that not brought up when Emmanuel was the chief of staff of President Obama. Like, like I, I truly do not understand. Like, and I try to be understanding. I try like just be like 
kind of like non-biased, like I'm a conservative, we all know that. And I look at it through like a conservative lens and I try to be like unbiased and just try to understand their like viewpoints, but I literally can't. When you have all of this just out there in the air, like her just saying, well, no, we don't want him because he has a history of racial injustice. Uh, why, because he served now? Like, because he was President Obama's first chief of staff? Like, how is this person that's been in politics this, this length of time have a history of racial injustice, but you don't think to bring up his history of racial injustice until he's appointed into Biden's administration following being in President Trump's administration? I don't understand that. Anyways, all of this is just furthering what I was saying yesterday and the fact that there is a huge calamity inside the Democratic Party. You have the far less progressives that the Democrats have hopped into bed with that they are now trying to push an agenda that the rest of the Democratic Party doesn't want to push. The only problem with this is that the Americans aren't going to stand with for what you're allowing the progressives to do. Eventually you're going to push the American people past a breaking point and they're just not going to accept your political party anymore. Secondly, the Democrats are literally reaping what they sowed. Like, this is what you wanted, Democrats, and this is what you got. Like, this is what you get. You get oppressive, radical lefts like Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, freaking the Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, you get all of them on the, just the far of Bernie Sanders, just, just slamming this socialist ideology, and you hopped into bed with it. You got behind some of their progressive ideas, and this is what you get, Democrats. Like, I hope it comes, like, full to fruition for you. Ultimately, what it's gonna come down to is that the Democrats are going to have to choose whether they are going to remain with their far-left ideologies of some of their peers that they've married themselves with, in order to keep their radical base and the social like injustice that they've, that they've pushed, all of that like nonsense that they've been in bed with for the last two years? Or are they going to leave all of that for the rest of the American people and do what's best for America? That is ultimately going to be the choice that they have. But given what we have already seen, I think we already know what, what their choice is gonna be because they absolutely cannot leave that radical base that they've like nourished and like parented. Like it's kind of like they have like this clay and they just kind of like molded it up over the last few years. And so they're absolutely not going to leave that. And what is the proof of this? The proof of this is that Nancy Pelosi could not renounce socialism and the progressive left. So in an article written by Fox News and Joseph A. Wolfson, Nancy Pelosi refuses to denounce socialism as she seeks another term as speaker. Well, why could she not renounce it? Well, because she needs that base. Anyway, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is refusing to denounce socialism as the left-wing ideology, ideology continues to drive a wedge within the Democratic Party as she works to lock down enough support for another term as speaker. Fox News had requested comments several times, including multiple phone calls to Pelosi's office with inquiries about whether she opposed the ideology and whether she would allow any self-described socialists elected in the Democratic caucus to hold leadership positions in the House of Representatives. Of course she cannot denounce socialism and the progressive left because she knows that if she does, she will lose support that she needs to maintain 
the Speaker of the House. And that is it right there. Like, they have married themselves so tightly in battle with the Democratic Socialists, the progressives of their caucus, that if they do not continue to support them and don't openly denounce the ridiculousness that they're pushing, that she'll lose support in the House. And ultimately, she'll lose her spot as the Speaker. And so, it is absolutely hilarious. Like, absolutely hilarious to just watch them, like, bicker amongst each other. So in that same article, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of the most prominent Democrats in Congress, who identifies as a Democratic Socialist, appeared to swipe on Spanberger's remarks on Twitter, which we all remember um, Spanberger, a few days after the election, denounced the progressives and said that all of that had lost them critical seats inside the House and that that was a reason for the loss of seats that the Democrats experienced in this election, was the progressiveness and the socialist ideologies that they've been pushing. So, in quote, so the whole progressivism is bad argument. Just it doesn't have any compelling evidence that I've seen. Ocasio-Cortez wrote, when it comes to defund and socialism attacks, people will need to realize that these are racial resentment attacks. You're not going to make that go away. You can make it less effective. Okay. See, I guess like you never read a history book or never kept up with modern times. Um, Venezuela, Cuba, USSR, any other country that has instituted full-out socialism that has absolutely failed. So please tell me again how there are successful companies with socialism. Or not companies, countries with socialism. Um, second, a racial resentment. I am not sure that how race has anything to do with socialized healthcare, welfare systems, socialized and progressive ideology. But okay, if you cannot tell, like, everything in the Democratic Party somehow comes back to race or some form of identity politics. Like, they cannot correlate anything without going back to that. And so, you're telling me that like, socialist ideas governing the, the country is somehow related to race, like, to race. Or that those people that don't want socialism, those that renounce socialist ideologies, are somehow racist because they don't overtly agree with you. Or they don't agree with you at all. That they're racist. And that has become a talking point of the Democratic Party, is that if you don't agree with something that they want, you're just a racist. You're a fascist. Because you don't agree with what they think is the right thing. It's absolutely absurd, and we're seeing this more and more time and time again. And it's just going to get worse if Biden is elected, because he's not going to be able to hold that back. Alright. So, the next big thing today is Amy Coney Barrett and the fact that the Affordable Care Act is being heard in the spring. So today will be the first day that Amy Coney Barrett sits and hears a case since her selection and confirmation into the Supreme Court. And it will be the Affordable Care Act. Looking specifically at the individual mandate, whether if it's unconstitutional or not, and if the entire, bi- like, entire bill itself has to be done away with because of that portion that is unconstitutional. So why is it important? Well, it's important for a few. One, it's her first case. 
Two, it's been a landmark promise of the Trump administration that he was going to repeal and just do away with Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. Second, this has also been a very hot topic item for the Democratic Party and that it kind of is seen as like the door that will lead to those progressives that we were talking about to the socialist views that they want. Like, like the Affordable Care Act is kind of seen as that like doorway to them for people like Bernie Sanders and AOC as a, as like a doorway into like socialism. So to understand like even more why it's a big deal and why the right wants it gone away, you have to understand the two like very opposing and different schools of thought when it comes to healthcare. So the left wants government dependence, big government control, overarching government regulations and mandates, welfare states, socialized system. So pretty much reliance on the government to control the price and market with no competition. Like, that is just, like, their school of thought. Like, if we can control this big market, we can decide the prices and make it better for the American people. Like, that's the left school. But while the right school wants minimal, school of thought wants minimal government regulations and mandates, um, individual, like, healthcare over government-funded healthcare, capitalism over private markets, I'm, I'm sorry, capitalism and private markets over government-controlled markets, because Private markets and capitalism drive down price while driving up like better services. Those are the two like dueling school of thoughts here. And this is why a private market will always be better than what the federal government can provide. Because the competitiveness in the private market and in capitalism will drive down costs while skyrocketing service. So not only does like the private sector drive better services for a lower cost, it does not mandate that everyone pay for everyone else's coverage. So that is something that the ACA was death like was, was full of is that okay, well everyone's gonna pay this incredibly large premiums and things like that because you're paying for people that don't have the ability to pay for other people. And you're going to skyrocket taxes to pay for the ACA because you're also going to pay for people that don't pay taxes and don't pay for health care. So according to the um, RBC Senate website, the ACA would increase in taxes, which see an increase in taxes of $800 billion in a decade. $800 billion in taxes. The website, the website further cites how the ACA added a strain on the already strained Medicaid system. So you have this incredibly huge increase in taxes that the American people are going to have to fork up. Then you're going to put all these people on Medicare and Medicaid where they'll have low premiums, low like pharmacy bills, medication, things like that, which all sound wonderful like on paper, when you read it on paper, except the Medicare and Medicaid system are absolutely horrendous. So you are going and are already strained. So you're going to add more people onto an already strained system instead of fixing the strained system. Also, when the ACA started, Obama promised that if people liked their health care, that they could keep it. Which what he meant to say was, well, if we like your health care, you can keep your health care. Because 4.7 million policies nationwide were canceled because they didn't meet the mandates and regulations 
that the ACA set forward. So everyone's going to look at me and say, like, I have no idea what it's like because I've never been on Medicaid. I've never been on Medicare. Like, I had TRICARE when I was in the military. I have um, insurance through my employer now. And so everyone's going to look at me and tell me that I have no idea what it's like and that I can't talk about it or anything like that. Well, I actually have pretty intimate knowledge. When I grew up on Medicare and Medicaid, I came from a very impoverished mother, single mother, who worked many jobs, multiple jobs at once to pro provide for me and her. I was on Medicare and Medicaid. Recently, my grandmother, who is on Medicaid and Medicare, and the policies and programs that they have for her, almost died. Why? Because the programs are complete and utter shit. They are terrible. Like, she needed a certain item in order to live that she could not receive through Medicare and Medicaid because they would not give her a waiver or allow for the product that she needed to be prescribed. And so that is the, it took like waivers, it took calling Medicare, calling Medicaid, working with the hospital, working with nonprofits in order for my grandmother to get that. And that is a too often encounter that people on that system and that is the reason why the ACA, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare for All do not work. Is because all of the government involvement makes them not allowed to get the procedures that they need. And if the Medicare and Medicaid program, along with the ACA exchanges, were so good, wouldn't you think that people would be flocking to them? Like, wouldn't you think that people would just be overtly coming to them? That the people would want better health care? that is being provided at a better rate with the ACA? Wait, that's, that's absolutely not the case. So in 2019, the CDC did their survey, and this is what they found. They found that persons of age, under the age of 65 with private insurance at the time of the interview, was 63.7%. Percent of children under the age with private insurance was 55.2%. Percentage of adults aged 18 to 64 with private insurance at the time of the interview was 66.8%. So more than half America, almost three quarters of America, had private insurance. While persons under the age of 65 with public insurance, so ACA, Affordable Care Act, Medicare, Medicaid, all those, was only 26%. While percent, percentage of children under the age of 18 with public insurance of the interview was 41.4%. What percentage of the adults aged 18 to 64 with public insurance at the time of the interview was 20.4%. So you have a radical number and a crazy difference between the numbers of private insurance and public provided insurance. Then looking at the uninsured, you had about 32.8 million people under the age of 65 that were uninsured at the time of the so remember that with the ACA, you had an individual mandate, which meant that if you didn't, if you were uninsured for any time, that you would pay this outlandish astronomical fee to the government because you didn't have insurance. And it's kind of funny, right? Like how all of that works. Like how, okay, well, you don't have insurance because you can't afford insurance. Well, I'm going to make you pay crazy amounts of money because you can't afford insurance. But anyway, CNN apparently disagrees with me and wrote a story in today um, stating that there's 
all kinds of things at stake uh, this year because the ACA is at the Supreme Court. More importantly, they're saying that as the coronavirus pandemic and resulting economic downturn gripped the nation, the Affordable Care Act serves as a safety net for millions of Americans who've lost their job and their health care insurance along with it. Just over 11 million people were unemployed in October, up from 5.8 million in February. Okay, I can understand and I can 100% empathize with that. But you do have Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid, which can be used in the interim. Make the Medicare and Medicaid better. Make it a better program with better access to services and equipment and pharmaceuticals that you need. Get, away, get rid of the ACA. Get rid of the individual mandate. Get rid of this idea of Medicare for all. Use the Medicare and Medicaid as an interim insurance like option until you don't until you're able to have your own insurance, whether that be through your employer, whatever, private healthcare, whatever that may be, right, in the private sector. But it does not mean that the government needs to be cramming down healthcare for all. Like, it's crazy just how far they'll use, like, the coronavirus, COVID-19, people losing their jobs and unemployment to strengthen their control. The ACA has been an absolute disaster, and that individual mandate which is thankfully gone for right now, is the part that was absolutely ridiculous. Um, the part that said that you had to pay the government if you didn't have insurance. And so like, I'm going to try to like, understand that. So the reason for the mandate was that it wasn't fair for people to have to pay for your share of the healthcare burden. Well, that is exactly what the Democrats have in mind. Well, so their reason for the mandate was, okay, well, you didn't have health care insurance, so you're going to pay a fine at the end of it because the rest of Americans shouldn't have to pay for your burden of the free health care for all. But isn't that exactly what the Democrats are doing when they're saying there's going to be $80 billion plus in taxes? in order to make ACA affordable. So the exact reason that the mandate was there is also the exact same reason why the HCA should not be a thing. I shouldn't be paying my tax money to pay for somebody else's insurance. Just as somebody who doesn't want to have um, insurance shouldn't have to pay a mandate because they didn't want to maintain insurance. But I don't understand that. So you literally just said that. You literally are just agreeing with that the American people should not be paying for insurance for somebody else. That is an individual responsibility and that it is not a place for the millions of dollars burden that's going to put on the American tax. All right, everyone. So that's going to be litigated today. Hopefully, I don't know when we'll have a response for it. I don't know when we will have a decision from the Supreme Court, but that is in the Supreme Court now and it's being decided. So we'll see where that goes. All right. So I know that it's been turbulent times right now. Everything's been up, down, back, right, sideways. Who's the president? Who's not your president? Who's elected? Who's not elected? But I just want everyone to remember that the election is not decided by the media. The election is not decided until every legal vote and legal ballot is counted. Until every legal lawsuit has been litigated. 
and the electors of the Electoral College it doesn't matter what the media says. That is our process, and it's a process that has to be completed. So what I have here is a list of every lawsuit that I could find, and it's listed in times.com. Um, every lawsuit that I could find that includes the ones that Trump did from Pennsylvania, poll watchers not being allowed to watch, that was then overturned by the Supreme Court, all of them and so on. And so we'll go through all of those real quick, just so you have an idea of like what's actually going on. Because obviously the media is not going to tell you everything that is going on. They're not going to tell you that Trump has made countless lawsuits about voter regularity and voter fraud, voter suppression, whatever it may be. There are countless of those. And those are normal in every single election. And so unfortunately, they're not going to go over every single one of them. Why? Because it makes it look and brings up the idea that there may be some more shady stuff going on in this election than normal. And if they admit that, then they admit that there is a chance that Joe Biden may not be the president at the end of all of this. So we'll start with Pennsylvania. So there's multiple balance. The first one was to compel the Philadelphia election officials to stop counting ballots. The second was to compel the state election officials to allow Trump campaign officials closer observation of the counting process, which was at the lower level courts decided that it that wasn't required, which was in Supreme Court, or I'm sorry, which was then reversed at the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania. So that's been overturned in Trump's favor. To compel the Pennsylvania Secretary of State, Kathy Bookabar, in all 67 counties to impose an earlier date for voters to proof of identification that was not on their initial ballot. That litigation is ongoing. To compel the Montgomery County Board of Elections to stop counting mail-in ballots. That litigation is still ongoing. To intervene in an already existing dispute for the U.S. Supreme Court about whether ballots the state received after 8 p.m. on election day should count. That litigation is still going. So just remember that there, we are literally having to litigate on whether or not ballots received after the election day after the votes, have been, the votes have been counted and things are being tabulated, and we should still accept votes. That is having to be litigated. Those are court battles that the Trump administration is having to battle. Just remember all of that. In Nevada, there's a lawsuit to impose an injunction on the automated signature verification machine used in Clark County. There's another one to compel the state election officials to allow the public closer observation of Clark County balloting centers. And Michigan to halt the counting of absentee ballots on the grounds that campaign officials had not been given access to observe the process as required by state law. There's another one to halt the certification of election results and destroy Michigan's largest city in a Democratic stronghold. There's also the other one, and I don't see it on here, but there's the one about the machine that miscounted 6,000 votes that were supposed to be for Republicans that went to the Democrats. In Georgia, there's a lawsuit to disqualify 53 ballots. In Arizona, there's um, lawsuits that um, say that the, the balloting centers in Arizona made them use sharpies that caused bleach, blotches, stray marks, and other things that may have messed up the automatic voting machine in counting the votes. And so there are numerous lawsuits everywhere in the United States regarding everything that's going on in this election. And like I said yesterday, 
do I, am I saying that there's over an amount of voter fraud or voter suppression? And that is going to swing the thousands and tens of thousands of votes that Trump needs. No, I, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that if there's one count of voter suppression or a million counts of voter suppression, irregularity, fraud, whatever you want to call it, that those need to be investigated by our system. And because if we don't investigate it, we don't uphold the legitimacy of our election. Which either way it goes. If it goes in Trump's favor or Biden's favor. And if Biden was flipped and Trump had been declared the media winner and Biden had all these litigation process, the standard and my statements would be the exact same. Is that they need to be litigated. Our process needs to be upheld because that's how we maintain the integrity of our election. All right. So what does it all mean? It means ultimately, that, like I said, that the election is not over yet. And you want to know where even more the election is not over. And it means even more is in Georgia. All right. And I say that because the Senate races in Georgia are still ongoing. The presidential race, which everyone focuses on, like hyper focuses on, is important. But what may be more important is the Senate election in Georgia. Why? Because if Joe Biden is elected, the Senate is the last like, stronghold that stands in the way of the radical left agenda that's going to end up coming through the Biden administration and the American people. Because like I said, ultimately Biden's not going to be able to hold his radical left. It's absolutely not going to happen. He is not a strong enough candidate, politician, person to withstand that. Absolutely not. So why, are we, why do we not know the results of the Georgia election? Well, that's because Georgia is still one of the few states that require both, whichever candidate, to achieve a 50% majority of the votes in order to win. So meaning that one candidate could get, one candidate could get 49% of the votes and the other candidate get 1% of the vote. Well, even though that candidate had 49% and a 48% difference in vote count, he didn't receive a 50% majority of the votes. Therefore, he's not going to be declared the winner because he did not meet that 50% threshold mandate. So that means that there will be a runoff seat for the election in both seats, um, where Purdue is set to win over Ossoff. And by all the available data, because there are 20 people in the race for the second seat, the Republican Kelly Loffley is set to beat the Democrat candidate um, Warnock. So the two seats in Georgia are actually very, very powerful, and they have the national eye for a very good reason. So right now, the Senate is tied, 48 to 48, with Trump looking at winning the seat in North Carolina and the seat in Alaska. That would put the Republicans at a 50-48 majority. So if the Republicans win Georgia, they will have a 52-48 majority in the Senate. However, if the Democrats are able to pick up those two seats in Georgia, that'll put it at a 50-50 tie in the Senate, with Kamala Harris being the tie-breaking vote in anything that goes to a tie. And so that is the reason why we're seeing this huge influx of large political figures flocking to Georgia on both sides of the aisle. Chuck Schumer, Mark Rubio, other Republicans like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, all just flocking to 
to Georgia to campaign for and help campaign for whatever candidate on the Democrat and Republican side, because these last two votes are going to decide who holds the Senate and what is the last stronghold in America to, against the Democrats running the full board in Washington. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how the Supreme Court, Supreme Court, I can't talk today. The Supreme Court goes. So that is all for today. Make sure you follow me on Twitter for updates on the show. Also, I'll put my initial thoughts on whatever the results of the Supreme Court dissent is and their decision about the ACA that's being heard today on my Twitter. Also, if you want to see full clips like that of Joe Biden talking about unity in the aftermath of AOC saying she's going to blackmail, blackmail and just ostracize, ostracize all the Americans that voted for Trump. If you want to see that video, and of course, yours truly, make sure you follow me on Twitter. Not on Twitter, I'm sorry. On YouTube, where you can find the full podcast video. You can find that at the Conservative Voice Show. I'll also link a I'll also link it in the description down below, along with my Twitter. And as always, if you have any comments or questions, let me know down in the comment section. And until tomorrow, guys, I hope you all stay safe. God bless, and thank you all for watching.